Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Radio Islam, Ramadan Mubarak. This is your host, Tariq al and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, and we're streaming live at WCEV1450.com. Now, for those of you who are new to the Radio Islam family, we welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. We're on every night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central, coming to you live and direct, just uh, about 50 feet from the elevated trains in the downtown loop. Uh, but you can keep up with us by following and liking our social media pages. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And you can also catch up on those episodes that you may have missed by going to wherever it is you get your podcast from. So if that's iCloud, iCloud, if that's iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, or TuneIn, you'll find us at Radio Islam USA. Same username, at Radio Islam USA. All right, folks. Um, oh, we also uh, remind you for those who, uh, who just want to pick up the phone and give us a call. You can do that at 312-750-1178, 312-750-1178. Okay. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, we are into the, what is this, day 12? Well, it depends on when you started. Some folks started a day earlier, but it's, what, 12 or 13. Um, like I said, depending on where you started, but we're into uh, Ramadan. We're just about at the halfway point. And uh, one of the things that uh, that we find ourselves coming to grips with is the planning or maybe the lack of planning that we did or did not do when it comes down to eating, how we eat, uh, what are we preparing, uh, is it taking too long, are we eating what we want to eat. But then even beyond that, uh, this is a kind of a reset for a lot of us, right? And we look to come out of this month healthier with better habits and we want to extend that um so tonight not just just not just what i just rattled off right but we have uh joining us somebody who i'm really excited to talk to yvonne maffei uh she is uh the author um she's uh author of my halal kitchen and we are pleased to have her with us she uh well she she's multifaceted, multi-talented um, but let me let me just tell you a little bit about her before we uh, before we bring her on. OK. Are you ready? Are you listening? OK. So Yvonne Maffei is a travel obsessed food writer, cookbook author, e-commerce entrepreneur and founder of MyHalalKitchen.com, which is a halal food and cooking website. Her book titles include Clean Your Kitchen Green. I like that. Clean Your Kitchen Green. Uh, released in 2010, Summer Ramadan Cooking, released in 2013, and My Halal Kitchen, Global Recipes, Cooking Tips, Lifestyle Inspiration, 2016. She lives in Chicago and is working on her next book, her next book, Building Her Online Halal Marketplace, My Halal Market, and Eating Her Way Around the World on Global Culinary Adventures. Yvonne? Assalamualaikum. Wa alaikum sister. Thank you for being here. I, I was like, I have to, I have to give a little bit more about you. Um, so you're working on your fourth book now. Yes, I am. Um, and so it's going to be focused on um, more about like eating pure and clean and fire. I'm excited about that. Okay. All right. That's great. That's great. So how did you t- tell us, tell the Radio Islam family a little bit about you? Um, how did you get your start? What, what did this, where did this all come from? Well, I think like any type of passion, it starts pretty young. Um, mm-hmm. I love food and exploring where food comes from since a really early age. Um, my dad's side of the family is from Italy, and my mom's side is from Puerto Rico. But I grew up in a small town in Ohio, so it was a pretty interesting food life growing up. Um, and and I just really was interested in the beauty of food very young. And um, so I always thought about how could I make a career out of actually writing about food, not necessarily, you know, creating a restaurant or, or actual cooking. I, I really just wanted to explore the culinary um, global theme, you know, where, where food is coming from, what cultures cultivate really interesting recipes. But that really wasn't a career choice mm-hmm. um, at that time. 
so I uh, ended up, you know, going to going to college and grad school, and and still came right back to this idea of writing about food. Right before blogs came out, or writing, food writing was was popular, right. but it wasn't a it wasn't a major in college. Let's say. <laughs> okay, so um, so you wrote your first book mm-hmm. in twenty was this twenty ten? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. That's when I first started. Um, my 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 blog started in two thousand eight. So um, I didn't grow up eating halal. I, I didn't grow up as a Muslim. So mm-hmm. I learned about Islam through other Muslims in college, and also traveling to play, to Morocco. Actually, it was a very short trip, but it left a big impact on me during my college years. Mm-hmm. And over some time of actually studying about Islam, I, I embraced Islam um, in two thousand one in August, uh, just a month before nine eleven. So that was a really interesting time period. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as you know, it was a pretty politically charged time, and I, I just thought, you know, I really, really would like to focus on food um, in this community rather than anything else. And so after a few years of, you know, really understanding the true meaning of halal and sayyid, um, I just thought, you know, maybe I could write about this. Um, because coming from a perspective where I, I came from a world where, you know, the food was not traditional of any Muslim culture, right? Italian food, you don't think of being halal or Latin food, you don't think of being halal, but for me, I was making those um, same dishes my, I grew up with, but making them in a halal way. But no one was talking about that. No one was talking about how, you know, there are Muslims from all over the place, and, you know, although I absolutely love dishes from the Middle East or Indo-Pakistan, Indo-Pakistani dishes, I, I love that food, but it really, you know, wasn't my comfort food. Right. And I really thought, you know, how could I... Um, bring my culture into this halal space, and that was around the time that blogs were starting, and so I just decided to to start writing about it, you know, and educating people on what halal is for people who didn't understand it, but also for, let's say, in the Muslim community, how could they really um, find ingredients and new and interesting recipes that maybe they never tried because they weren't exposed to, um, you know, how to make an authentic Italian lasagna, for example, or Mm -hmm. meatballs. I mean, right. that was not just something nobody ever talked about. And right. so that was pretty novel um, for for me to do. Um, but it was, like, right up my alley in terms of what I wanted to do professionally. So are, are people, are our readers able to, uh, in a way, go on this journey with you, this kind of this global um, taste testing uh, and and transfer that into their own kitchens? Yeah, that's, that's my aim. My aim is really to show people how to make global... Uh, cuisine halal. So if you notice, um, you know, when I started in 2008, I didn't post a single Middle Eastern recipe or anything that resembled something from the the Muslim world. And I did that very intentionally, not because I didn't like that food, but I mean, I love that food. Mm -hmm. But my point was that we can take any type of food. I think I did Scandinavian dishes and Italian dishes. I really just wanted to show people you know, take a recipe that you see. Let's, you know, people watch food shows, and they say, they say, oh, I really would like that. It looks interesting. I, mean, I think Muslims are very cosmopolitan, and we love to travel, and we love different things, but we, we see a recipe on TV or in a magazine, and we kind of throw it out and say, oh, I can't make it because it has alcohol in it, or oh, I can't make it, there's so much pork. But how about we come up with substitutes? And so that's what I did. I experimented with substitutes for really fine French cuisine. You know, took Julia Child's book and said, you know, let me make her recipes with great flavor that, you know, don't compromise the halal factor. And so that was, you know, what I just intently did. And then I put, tried to take my readers on that journey with me by showing them, you know, instead of pork, you can use, you know, um, beef bacon for flavor. Instead of wine, you know, there are these different alternative um, types of juices that, you know, sound very simplistic, but you're getting the flavor that, that you're looking for. And I because I had traveled quite a bit before becoming Muslim and I had been exposed to French food in France and English food in the UK and um, Mexican food in Mexico, I really, I already knew the flavor profiles that, that I wanted to replicate. And so that was, you know, an interesting experience for me to come, come to the table and experiment. So it was kind of, you know, lesson in chemistry too, you know, just really figuring out what's going to taste great with what and, and then just giving people these tools to say, here's your foundation for halal cooking. Right. You, you, know, you can take this idea and take it you know, to any recipe that you are interested in making. Do you think that most, most of us, that, because we have uh, 
we have a selection, or at least we feel like we have a selection, mm-hmm. especially in uh, cities uh, like Chicago, uh, bigger cities where you have uh, a, a much uh, wider array of, uh, mm-hmm. of, of cuisine. Do you think that we are unconsciously sensitized, our palates are unconsciously, we're sensitized to different tastes? Um, uh, and and when you traveled and had those cuisines uh, authentically, you know, in, in the places that they come from, did you find a difference? Do you, do you feel like we're, uh, in, in the States, um, that we're getting the same type of cuisine? That's a great question. I wish more people asked me this because I think this was sort of the, the very basis of where I started to really become so passionate about food. Uh, I spent some time in Italy, and as I think almost every chef I know or like you know person in food takes this trip to Europe that changes their life. And there's a reason because the ingredients are so simplistic and so pure that it really awakens the palate. So for me, it was a trip to Italy where I learned so much about purity of food. What, what apricots should really taste like, what tomatoes should really taste like. And once you taste that, you kind of can't go back. And you're, you realize, like, one fruit just is, is packed with all this flavor, flavor that doesn't need all those preservatives and doesn't need sauces and dips and all these other things. And if we just focus on that purity. And so when I discovered that and came back to the States, I was on this quest to just really find it wherever I could, whether that was farmer's markets or you know, wherever it could be, going to farms and orchards. I mean, I love doing those things. Mm-hmm. And this was something that once I started reading about Islam, I, I, I was so amazed to find so much food mentioned in the Quran. I mean, the pomegranates, the, the olives. I mean, this was very interesting to me. And, and also about the purity. You know, Allah says in Surah Baqarah, eat what is halal and tayyib. Right. So eat what is permissible and what is pure. And, and that's a thing in food. I mean, you hear that there's hashtags, you know, clean eating, conscious eating. But this is embedded in our Islamic tradition yeah, to, sure is. you know, really find what is not only halal, but what is unaltered, unadulterated, you know, clean, pure, you know, and that's where the real flavor is. That's where the real taste is. I've... And so then you don't need all these other things. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a term called nutrient-dense foods, right? Mm-hmm. So that means that anything that is pure organic or however you'd like to describe it in that sense, that when you taste it, not only is it packed with flavor, but it's packed with nutrition too. So it's that whole holistic experience of good soil, good environment, sustainability, um, you know, which brings you all this great food, but that's packed into our tradition anyway. And so I felt like I was sort of finally in the right place Mm -hmm. when it came to food, when it came to cooking, when it came to my profession, because there is this holistic lifestyle, you know, when it comes to, to eating as a Muslim, and it's it's beautiful, and I, I just feel like we should revive that. Um, I've, I've not got to say, our lives with food. I've, I've got to say, when you mentioned how Italy was a transformative space for you, um, mm-hmm. I was there uh, maybe three weeks ago, and oh wow, and I had the absolute best pizza I've ever had in my life. And I don't enjoy, I'm, I'm not somebody who really uh, orders, I rarely if ever order a thin crust pizza. But uh-huh. I had, you know, regular thin crust pizza, and it was, what was on there? It was tomatoes, and um, I think I think there were some olives on there, some black olives. Oh, okay. And, and maybe that was about it, and some cheese. Right, very simple. And it was... It was deli- I ate the whole pizza. It was well, yeah, delicious. Yeah, it's meant for for one person, right, over there because they're so thin. Yeah, and you get your own pizza, which is fantastic. But you you probably were tasting purity of ingredients through and through, from the wheat that made, from the cheese that was produced locally. The mm. olives, I'm sure, were grown locally. The tomatoes. I mean, they're not going to import that stuff in Italy. So you were tasting things that were so close. You know, from farm to table is not very far, mm. and that's. Huge. That's huge. And, and, and that is a movement that's happening here in the U.S. Yes. And I think that's a very important movement. We need to keep it, uh, you know, give it that longevity and not just keep make it a trend. I mean, it's, it's important for the future of our food, the future of our kids, and, and the health, health of, you know, of our, of our generation. So, you know, I, I think as Muslims we have a really big role to play in food systems because we have so much knowledge and information in our deeds. That excites me because I feel like it's an endless um, opportunity 
opportunity to just keep making food better and better and simpler and simpler. I get lots of questions from people who talk about, you know, especially in Ramadan, you know, the overwhelm of, of cooking and all of that. But in oh, reality, yeah. I think, you know, just that lesson and purity of food is, is huge for us that you don't really need so much to be satiated mm. and to be healthy. So, so what are some of the, what are some of the tips that you promote with regard to summer Ramadan eating? Because I think that's an excellent point because I was just mentioning at the beginning of the show how, you know, we're just about at the midway point. And mm-hmm. if, if you have prepared uh, it, you probably you may be better off. But if you haven't prepared and you're just grabbing for something to begin your uh, fast with, uh, you may find that you're uh, you're not in the best position that you want to be in. So so what are some of the tips that, that you would give? The tips I have for people are really, you know, when I first started fasting, I think it was around 2001, um, I, I, you know, I would get sort of overwhelmed with the preparation. Like, you know, you, you, if you've never fasted before, you really think you're going to die doing it. <laughs> you just think, how am I going to live? Um, but, subhanAllah, you know, Allah gives you a lot of patience and willpower, and, and over time it becomes easier. But the, the, the truth is, like, Clearing out the clutter is probably the best tip I would give anyone because you're not going to eat a lot of food, but pay attention to the quality of the food. Mm. So I always insist on, and I think summer is a great time, even though it's a very long fast. It's beautiful because we have so many great fruits that are hydrating. Like I think I kept two watermelons in the fridge over the weekend because I just really, you know, eat that as, um, you know, it's nice and, when it's nice and cold, it's wonderful but you get so much liquid from it, right? So it's choosing those things that are going to hydrate you, number one, very important. I think that's where I know I get headaches, you know, from the the coffee or tea withdrawal, but also from the lack of water. So I know that, okay, if I'm having headaches, at a start time, I'm going to have to really drink more water and and, and have those foods that really are going to give us that. But also, you know, just kind of going easy on the fried things and, but that's hard because we all love that stuff, right? It's so <laughs> traditional in so many senses. Like, you got to have your samosa, you know, just something like crunchy and tasty and savory. And that's all fine. But, like, make up for it with, with, with things that are um, very hydrating. And, and um, I think fruit is probably one of the best things. And I don't see enough fruit when I, you know, when my at a start. I think we really just need to pack it in. Salads, fruits. Yeah, that's um, what I'm looking you know, for. Things that are going to... Uh, you know, add hydration. Food mm-hmm. does have water in it, so um, pick those things. You know, juicy peaches and things like that that give you a lot of a lot of um, you know good stuff. So those are things that you know are available in the summer. So we should take advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm going to share with you my my uh, suhoor. It okay. is three or four dates and a big glass of water. So that's it. That's all you have. Is- Three dates, glass of water. Yeah, three or four dates, and 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 well, it's like it's like a big uh, twenty ounce. Normally, maybe mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's two two of those. So I have like forty ounces of water mm-hmm. in the morning in that. Okay. And, and that fills you up. I mean, you don't you don't feel hungry like around ten o'clock in the morning after that. <laughs> uh, not not really. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I well, mean, dates are packed with magnesium and fiber. And they are kind of filling if you think about it. I mean, so it's a it's really a, a sort of miracle fruit. And so I'm not surprised by it. I think um, you know whatever works for most people. I always tell people if I'm up all night after a star, sometimes I don't go to sleep. Right. I'll just eat leftovers. Yeah. You know, whatever I had, and, and that that satiates me. But if I've fallen asleep and I need to, and I wake up for a suhoor, I'm going to need something like a cereal. You know, yeah. just really. I don't think we have to be so strict with ourselves in in terms of. Um, you know, what exactly specific things we need to have. You kind of also need to follow some cravings you're having or what your body, listen to what your body needs. Mm. I think that when your body craves a certain thing, you know, you should really listen to that in the sense that, you know, keeping it healthy and nutrient dense and all of that. But, um, you know, it, it, everyone is so different. And everyone comes from different cultural backgrounds, right? Sure. So I tell people that too. Like, I'm not going to tell you exactly what you should eat. Number one, I'm not a nutritionist. But number two, I think um, Ramadan is this special time where a lot of us are dipping into our own cultural traditions and what is comfortable, you know, mm-hmm. what reminds us of Ramadan. Um, and so, you know, let's, let's kind of go easy on ourselves and just enjoy 
the great things that um, we have available to us and and eat those things and you know go on um, but but remember that um, the healthier the better because they're not meant to you know be a wreck the whole day you know, you're, you're supposed <laughs> right. to have that support so that you can do what you need to do throughout throughout the day so yeah. there's such a purpose for that a- absolutely and you know what and I made that admission partially uh, sort of going into this next question about people. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that people are, I don't want to say lazier, but mm-hmm. less averse to cooking uh, today? Mm-hmm. Because a, a big part of the what, the reason that I end up doing what I uh, do in the mornings of a sewer is because I'm trying to get every little bit of sleep and I can keep those dates right next to the yeah. bed. And yes, I wouldn't I, disagree with that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But, but overall, overall, with so many different options um, as far as, you know, dining out are concerned, do you feel that people, and Muslims in particular, do you feel like uh, we're less averse to cooking? Or, do you, or has it been the opposite for you, that you've, you've received more feedback where people are like, oh, man, I'm really, I'm really happy to, to have this type of uh, information from you. I've wanted to cook, and I just couldn't figure out how to do it in a way it would be satisfying. Um, this is another great question because I think we, we um, every year I see the different waves of enthusiasm. <laughs> in the beginning, mm-hmm. that first couple, those first couple of cards, everyone is so excited to make the most complicated thing available, right? right. Make samosas from scratch or anything, you know, like that, that involves, you know, cooking in three steps and wrapping things up and, you know, things that just take time. But um, after a few, after the first week, it's, it's takeout for a lot of people. You know? right. there's, a, there's this tiredness. I mean, you, you do need your sleep. Everybody is working. Everybody is getting, you know, very minimal sleep, breaking your fast, you know, ate something at night. Um, by the time you eat and finish eating, you look at your clock and it's 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, some people go to the night prayers. That takes another two hours. I mean, where are you going to fit in good sleep? So, and, and I think, you know, some people sleep right through the horror. I do it sometimes, too, if you were human. Mm-hmm. And um, you have to, again, I think it's, it goes back to listening to our bodies and not being, you know, so harsh on ourselves. I mean, Allah didn't give us this obligation to, to make it hard for us. Right. You know, and he says, you know, this fast is for me. So if it's for him, let's do it the right way and, and do it in a way that um, doesn't make us miserable, too. Right. Uh, so if you need to keep a glass of water by your bed instead of getting up for a meal for Sahur, so be it. You know, that's just the way it is that day. Yeah. And um, I think it would, it would help us to, to give ourselves a break sometimes on these things. You know? I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, you know what, uh, Sister Yvonne, we're going to take a short mm-hmm. break. When we come back, sure. uh, I would like to hear some of the, the feedback that you've been getting from people as, as you talk to them. Um, okay. Yeah. So, uh, Radio Islam family, we're talking with uh, Sister Yvonne Maffei. Uh, she is a uh, food writer, cookbook author, e-commerce entrepreneur. We're going to finish up our conversation when we get back. This is Radio Islam on WCV 1450 AM. Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872 806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. In the streets below, traffic had stopped. Pedestrians were lying on sidewalks and curled up in doorways. There was no sign of violence, no wrecks, nothing like that. It was as if the people in New York had simply decided to stop whatever they were doing and pass out. Ice coated my stomach. The invasion has started. To find out what happens next, read Percy Jackson and the Olympians by Rick Reardon. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library. And visit read.gov. 
Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ed Council. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent, one in 260,000. The odds of him having 15 career NASCAR victories, one in 1.7 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, one in 88. I'm Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. My name is Sue Smith. I'm 38, and I work at a graphic design company. And the teenage me would tell you I wouldn't be into drawing and art if it wasn't for Big Brother's Big Sisters. My big sister showed me early on that I could do anything. And to the young me, that meant a lot. My big sister's name is Sheila, and Sheila is the reason that this 8-year-old grows up to have an amazing job as a graphic designer. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brother's Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brother's Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el and we are still broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming live at WCEV1450.com. Remember, Radio Islam family, tell somebody that they can keep up with us by following and liking our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts at Radio Islam USA. That is at Radio Islam USA. And make sure they know where to go and get that podcast, right? Because we know everybody's not going to pick us up. Um, we're on 1450 AM, but we're also podcasting every episode. You can go find wherever you get your podcast at Radio Islam USA. Okay. That has been said. Uh, we are joined on the phone by Yvonne Maffei, uh, who is a food writer, cookbook author, e-commerce entrepreneur, and founder of myhalalkitchen.com. And we've been talking about, uh, food. What else? Right. Makes perfect sense. And it's what fasting people like to talk about. Right. <laughs> Every fasting person wants to talk about food. <laughs> so, uh, Sister Yvonne, tell us uh, what has what are some of the what are some of the, the things you mentioned uh, the difficulty or the challenge sometime in substituting uh, uh, pork for, uh, you know, what's the substitution going to be uh, or or wine? <laughs> You mentioned those things, but what have people, what, what have been the responses that people have given to you uh, with the suggestions and the, the, uh, the information that you've shared? Well, in my re- recent cookbook, the My Halal Kitchen cookbook, um, it's really sort of that primer, that Cooking Halal 101 for different uh, types of global cuisine. So you have your Italian, your Latin, uh, American, French, and Asian cuisine. And I did that very purposely so that people could see what are the classic dishes in each of those cuisines and then how could you substitute for the alcohol and the pork, which are the two most widely, you know, used non-halal ingredients in those um, those types of cuisines. And um, I think the feedback that I've gotten the most has been sort of that wow factor in the sense that people didn't realize sometimes how easy it is or simple it is to create flavor as a substitute for alcohol. Uh, a lot of times people would just substitute nothing. They would just take the alcohol out of a recipe. Uh, or they might use something like chicken stock or vinegar. And to me, that's just not a flavorful substitute. It doesn't, it doesn't add what the essence is of a recipe. And so what I started to do was say, okay, if a recipe is made with, with red wine, Really what I'm looking for, I'm not looking for a replication of alcohol per se, right? right. I, I, I don't care about that. But what I do care about is what the grape does to that dish. The grape adds sweetness to meat. 
and it pairs very well with beef, for example. So in a Julia Child recipe for beef bourguignon, there's a kind of wine in that dish, and this is pork. But really the essence is that instead of the water, which some people might say, well, okay, I'm not going to use wine, obviously, so they might just add water. What is that? What kind of flavor is that really going to add to the dish? So instead, I started using very high-quality um, types of grape juice, and, and not so much of it because there is a sweetness to it. And so I experimented with those uh, amounts, those measurements, to really get the recipes to a place where I felt that they were super tasty and, you know, could really rival any, any recipe with all, all the, you know, alcohol. Um, and so if a recipe was calling for beer or white wine, I would suggest something different, like a white grape juice or an apple juice, you know, something that kind of took that essence of that fruit and, you know, that there's no alcohol being used and just added that to a dish because there is a certain measure of, of when you pair sweetness with meat, there's a wonderful result. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I just didn't see that happening in recipes. I didn't see anybody taking the time to, to give a proper and appropriate substitute for these things. And when it comes to pork, you know, you can't always substitute chicken for pork. Because right. Sometimes there's just a different type of meat that might work better in a particular dish. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, uh, Cuban sandwiches is a recipe in my book into the Latin chapter. And, um, you know, that's made you know, pretty much with most pork pork deli meat and pork uh, chopped, um, cooked pork. Mm. And I, you know, experimented quite a bit with that recipe because I grew up going to Key West where, you know, in Miami where, you know, you could get those Cuban sandwiches. So I knew what they tasted like. Mm. Now, what what did I do to replicate that? And it was a mixture of things, a mixture of chicken and turkey salami and things like that. So, it had, you know, there was a certain experimentation to really get those flavors that I thought to be the most authentically close to the original and I had taste testers. I had people in the test kitchen who were, you know, always at the other side of my table saying, okay, let me taste this to see how good it is or how authentic it is. And so before those recipes were published, they were tested multiple times and taste tested by people who, you know, had never had any experience with, um, you know, a halal alternative. So, so that was, you know, really important to me to do. So there's an awful lot of, well, I shouldn't say an awful lot. It, it's all... It sounds like it's all chemistry. Uh, you're talking about it is, yeah. how a everything lot of is it paired is. together. And mm-hmm. uh, and I can understand the, the logic uh, in, in substituting grape juice or high-quality, excuse me, <clears throat> high-quality grape juice for wine. But what do you substitute for beer? For beer, so again, it really would depend on the recipe. A lot of times I would suggest apple juice. Um, it's really hard to get a, a pairing similar to beer because beer comes is very yeasty right. and, and it comes from wheat. So you 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 know what kind of flavor would really replicate that? And really, in that sense, I'm not looking for flavor, but I'm looking for you know what does it do? Beer actually tenderizes a lot of meat. So they people put beer in a pot of um, water when they're boiling lobster. Mm-hmm. So you know I'm looking at okay, that's not gonna that's not for flavor. That's for tenderizing. And so once you understand why that alcohol is used, then you can say, all right, I'm going to do something similar for that similar effect. Because if the meat is supposed to be tenderized in a certain way, then you want to get, you want to, get to that essence. You don't want to, to skip that important part. Um, and so that's what I did. It, takes a, it took a lot of digging into the recipe's history, too. You know, how was this originally made? Uh, what are some, you know, different ways and styles that this is made, or what's the most authentic way? So it was really looking for authenticity. And, you know, at the end of the day, people really just want something delicious. Right. So it could be all halal, but if it didn't taste right, it's not going to fly. <laughs> people aren't going to make it. The kids right. aren't going to want it. You know, things like that. So there was that, you know, certain um, bit of, yes, chemistry. It had to all come together, but then... That's where the, the art of cooking comes in, where you need to add, you know, the herbs, the spices, the things that really, um, you know, dance on everybody's palate. What What are your favorite dishes? In the book? Well, just in general, if I, 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 I would imagine that they probably made it in the book. I don't know, but just <laughs> <laughs> just in, well, in general. You know, I, I tend, it really depends what, what I'm, uh, what mood I'm in. I mean, I always, I always, always default to pizza 
for my comfort food. You know, that homemade pizza, the pizza you mentioned in yeah. Italy, that's the kind of pizza that I, you know, is my total default for comfort food, no matter what. I mean, it could be, you know, it just doesn't matter. I mean, I, that's, that's what I'll always go to. But, you know, on a daily basis, uh, I like food with flavor and I love spice. Um, so all the recipes in my book, I, they're all mine that I've made and things that I love. Oh, really? Um, but I also love things that I don't normally cook. I love, love, love Pakistani food, for example. I mean, friends invite me for a star and Pakistani food or even Turkish food is one of my favorites, too. Those are things that um, I don't necessarily always make because there's a complication of ingredients and recipes that, you know, I'm, I'm not practiced in. But, um, but I enjoy eating food that other people make, too. Um, so That's my so, yeah, favorite kind of food. There's a bit of that comfort, but then that other, that thing that's, you know, amazes me about flavors that I didn't grow up with that I absolutely love and I could eat every day. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's just the mark of, you know, really loving food and appreciating, you know, the varieties of how it's made. All right. Yeah, you, you missed you missed my joke. Uh, well, it's not a joke, it's oh. true. I said that's my favorite kind of food. Uh, the food, oh. <laughs> the food that other people make. So, food that uh, other people make, <laughs> yeah. And you know, people, you know, they tend to, to be shy to, to, to cook for someone who cooks but yeah. I, you know, I never think of it like that. I never, I just like good food. I mean, I will go to anyone's house and enjoy whatever they've made. The time, you know, the time that people make to prepare something is very special. When someone cooks for you, it is an act of love. Yes. And I think that we need to kind of bring that back into our lives and appreciate that more. You know, it's not about the amount and, you know, the grandeur. It's really about the essence of, you know, what somebody, the time somebody took to, you know, to put something together and, and serve it to their family and friends. And, you know, that's, that's the thing to really focus on. And Ramadan is that really important time to think about it. Not everyone is able to eat the way we are. We are so blessed in our Muslim community with the variety, the, the different ethnicities that are in just one, one Jummah prayer. You know, how many people yeah. do you see from all over the world? It's just amazing. And when we have these iftars at our community, community parties and you look at the variety. We're so blessed. And, um, you know, that's, that's a draw. That's a draw to Islam. That's a draw to the Muslim community. Um, and this is, we really need to appreciate that um, more and more um, because not, not everyone gets to experience that. All right. I have to say that there is a, a very much an inspirational um, vibe, right, that I get as I'm, as I'm listening to you. And I, I'm looking back, like I'm just looking a little bit of your, uh, your, your bio, and and it just it. I have to ask more about the lifestyle inspiration. Um, uh, so that has so that has nothing to do with food, or is or is that still centered around food? I think the lifestyle inspiration part came from, um, like, if you look at my website in the early years, and now you know, a lot of pictures have been you know shuffled over to Instagram and Pinterest. But particularly Instagram, um, you know, I try to share my love of gardening, too, because uh, it's one of those, and it's not a hobby for me. It really is a sort of a lifestyle. I like to know not just where my food is coming from. I think that's very, you know, cliche. We should should all be aware. But I think getting your hands in the dirt and growing something is just, it's it's a spiritual act. Really, when you put something in the ground, water it and let Allah do the rest mm-hmm. and you get something that is edible and good for you it's just like witnessing birth or something and I think that um, in Muslim kind of tradition of gardens we have a tradition of replicating gardens on earth because of the gardens that are available uh, gardens that we, we read about in Jannah right. and, and there's, a, there's a reason for that I mean there's when you surround yourself with beauty and you surround yourself with the miracle that, that Allah shows us it really makes you a conscious eater. It makes you a conscious person overall. Mm-hmm. You, when, you know, it's like when I visit um, uh, uh, slaughterhouses, for example. You know, and that's a very you know, big uh, change from talking about gardening. <laughs> but why do I say that? Farms and slaughterhouses, that's where our food is coming from, where that's where the sacrifices are taking place. Mm-hmm. When you start to understand all of that and see, and I'm not suggesting everybody go to, to, to do that, but what I'm 
things to understand the processes and understand the sacrifices that are made to bring food to the table, it changes your mindset completely about what you put into your mouth and what the gratitude level you have for it. I mean, Allah says, if you're grateful, I will give you more. And and that is rooted in our in our uh, food system, right? I mean, we, we really, really sometimes there's so much abundance here that we can, it's easy to forget that there's there's a, we need to be grateful for all of that, uh, not take it for granted. So going back to the gardening part, I think realizing how. You know, sometimes things grow and sometimes they don't. Sometimes you know, there's a sacrifice to everything you plant. You know, some, some things aren't going to, to come up the way you want. Um, it's a difficult task to, to keep the weeds out and to have really fruitful things. Um, the thing, you have your plants bear fruit. It takes work. But at the end of the day, that sacrifice, you know, gives you delicious, nutritious food that you can't replicate in a grocery store. Alternatively, it's like, you know, Okay, I tell people if you can't garden, you know, meet your farmers at farmers markets. Why? Mm-hmm. It's again, you know, you know, paying attention to the people who do that for you, and giving them the gratitude because it's not an easy task. And we're, you know, it just worries me sometimes that we're so far removed from the food system because once you get further and further and further away from that, and our kids don't understand the connection between what's on their plate and what grew in the ground, you you really lose a valuable. There's a disconnect there. That's the truth. Um, once that's gone, um, yeah. everything starts to deteriorate, particularly your health and um, just the cognizance of, of of the miracle of life. You know, I know that it's a lot of um, it's a lot of there's a lot of that inside of me. I guess over the years, I mean, just just from what I've been able to witness uh, in the food system, you know, it's really given me a deeper appreciation of of where things are coming from. Truly, truly, where they're coming. from. That that really strikes a chord with me because um, I, I can de- definitely bear witness to that about, was it two years? No, it's been more than that. Um, at my old house, my wife, she did a raised bed garden one summer. And that, well, spring, whatever, you know, but that, that year, that summer in particular, mm-hmm. we ate so good. We had mm-hmm. uh, our salads. I mean, we ate fresh every day. We mm-hmm. had lettuce and mm-hmm. tomatoes and corn and squash. Um, and I think it was something else out there. I can't remember what it was. But, but it, was, it was great uh, to see that and to look out into your uh, yard and see these mm-hmm. things growing up. Um, and, and that also brings me to another point that when it comes to gardening, you actually don't need a lot of space uh, to you garden. Don't. You know, you know, that's such a great point. And I tried to show that on my website in the early years. I had just a small balcony. Uh, I had yeah. a, a tiny apartment and a small balcony. And I just filled that balcony with things like, um, uh, I think it was arugula, Swiss chard, strawberries, and everything grew on that little patio. Um, and that was, a, that was a miracle to me. You know, how does this happen? Uh, yes, tender, loving care, all of that, um, and, and, it's, and it's enjoyable, you know, to, to touch the dirt and, and and check it every day to see, you know, what's grown and, you know, can you harvest it yet? I think, um, you know, we can all do our part, whether we have yards or not. There's always some something you can do, and for people who don't have any space, even a balcony, you can get a community garden plot for sometimes 20 or $30 for the whole summer, and they have compost bins there. They have shovels and like tools that you can use. And you just bring your seeds or your plants, and and you have a space where you can grow your food. And you can grow a lot in a you know in a small space, like you said. Um, you know, so so you don't need acres and acres. Uh, and I can truly attest to that because I've, like I said, I've had the small space, and now I have way more space. And I think I do less gardening. Because there's oh, really? an overwhelm factor, yeah. You know, um, than I did in a small space. So, yeah, those vertical vertical gardens and. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's beautiful, right? I, when I've tra- one of the things I realized when I was traveling, and I think this sort of hooked me very early on, and it wasn't, you know, maybe it was Italy, you know, over 20 years ago, but now uh, last year I went to Turkey and I was um, visiting my best friend, and she she invited me to her 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 town. 
um, and also her village. So there were, you know, we were able to ride up into the village in the hills. And what I found so beautiful about this place was that every house had a kitchen garden, every single one. Really? There were roses and sunflowers and eggplants and, you know, zucchini squash blossoms, you know, growing on the side of walls. It was absolutely gorgeous. And so they made it beautiful, but it's also practical. Um, you know, and, and that's something I do see that's happening a little bit more and more here. But I just hope it's not a, just a trend. Like I said, I just hope we, you know, we continue that because we all need to eat. And right. we need to protect the environment. We need to save the bees. There's a whole holistic, um, you know, reason for, for, for doing that. So, so, um, so with your uh, uh, My Halal Kitchen, that is a that's its own website, but you also blog mm-hmm. from it as well. It's my own website where I, I add my recipes and I articles and interviews with people in food, and I, I do try to talk about you know, places I've visited that um, you know has you know maybe restaurants that I've gone to or you know just whatever I think that um, that people will enjoy reading and learning about. So I try to keep it um, informative and, and educational. On the cooking technique side, but also on the, yeah, you know, where can you go out to eat, you know, for a really nice meal in, um, you know, San Francisco or wherever. Oh. Um, so I, I like to keep it, you know, keep a good variety there. Okay. All right. So, so you, you've got some uh, some dining recommendations on there as well. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the restaurants I've posted in years ago are now closed, which is so sad, you know, because um, there were some really great restaurants that I've been to. But, you know, that's life. Things change and restaurants come and go. Yeah. Um, but uh, whenever I find something good, you know, someone's doing something really great um, and they're not just, you know, not getting any, getting any kudos or attention. I just really feel, I feel very uh, inclined to want to tell the world about them because, um if I've been able to experience it and, you know, I thought it was great and they were great people, you know, I, I like to, I like to showcase who, who they are and what their story is. And there's just so many interesting people in the world. And there's, and when it comes to food, people making food are, you know, some of the best people I've met. Let me ask this with, uh, because you, you cover quite a bit of ground, uh, food writer, mm-hmm. cookbook author, e-commerce entrepreneur. Uh, would, would, is that something that you would ever consider open, opening your own restaurant? I get asked this question all the time, and sure you, you know, do. for a split second, I would love to say yes. <laughs> but in reality, um, it's a it's a hard it's a hard thing to do. I mean, um, and and not that I'm against the challenge. I just know my limits, and mm. I don't know that I would ever really be um, interested in staying uh, in in a, in a space for you know twelve fourteen hours. I really like to get out. I like to meet people. I like to explore places. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely more of the, you know, journalistic type. Um, and I like to be at home, you know, doing my recipes. So, you know, I've learned over the years what, what I'm able to do and not. However, um, I do support anybody who does want to open restaurants and, and make <laughs> them halal. I think there's we need more of those. Yeah. And we need uh, restaurants that focus on different cuisines and, uh, different styles, you know, some, we have so many casual restaurants, but how about the fancy ones? I mean, there's a lot of that. I mean, I, I, I think over time we're going to see more and more of it um, in the halal space, which is very exciting. Um, but just, like, you know, a lot of people have the dream to open a restaurant and showcase what they can do as chefs yeah. and not necessarily culinary school trained chefs. The people, a lot of people are trained, they're self-trained, self-taught. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am and a big believer in following your dreams, you know, do it with a plan, do it with passion, and don't look back. So um, to answer your question, maybe not me, but I encourage anybody else to do it. <laughs> well, if I could get a, a petition started, uh, there is one. There is definitely one restaurant that I would love to see go halal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is, I guess, it's, I don't know if it's a restaurant, but uh, Harold's Chicken. I wish they would go halal. So, uh, for our Radio Sound family, who who is not in the Chicagoland area, uh, Harold's is a you know it's an icon. Uh, their chicken and their fry, their sauce. But um, mm-hmm. I just recently found out that um, that they fry in lard. Oh, where are they based? In, in Chicago. Oh, 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they, they fry, fry it, it in lard to, so to get it crispy. Mm. Yeah. So uh, you know, no, no. Tell Harold's. them to call me for the substitutions. We can work this out. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, a lot of and this is a good point. That um, a lot of poultry in in the country could, you know, they can come from a halal slaughterhouse, for example, and and no one would really know that because maybe it's not labeled as that sold as such, but. You know, if you really dig deep into a certain restaurant or a grocery store or a brand, you know, you could you could kind of sometimes find out um, where that chicken is coming from. And I encourage everybody to know that anyway. Um, so, had they not fried it in lard, you know, I would have suggested you know, probing and asking where they're getting the chicken from. Um, but, but yeah, there are definitely substitutions for that, and a lot of restaurants today mm-hmm. uh, are taking. Um, maybe a portion of, of the restaurant or even the whole thing and making it halal so that it's available to everyone. Yes. You know, so if it's halal, everyone can eat it, but all, but of course the Muslims can too. So, so restaurants are, are, are really getting onto that bandwagon of saying they understand the market, they understand there's value in the market, um, and, and to, to make things halal is going to give them more business. Right. Um, so as long as it's being done right, you know, it's always a suggestion. So power of the pen, you know, I would say email yeah. them, call them, write to them, and, and give them some suggestions. But I think your petition idea would be best because then they would see all the signatures, right? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, great idea. And, and and why not? You know, everyone tends to love a fried chicken, but, you know, we're not going to go if it's, right. you know, it's, you know, fried in lard. Yeah, nothing beats a failure but a try. Sister Yvonne, it has been a pleasure talking with you. Um, can you, uh, b- before we have to get, before we get booted off the air, would you let folks know again? So it's myhalalkitchen.com and where can they find you on, uh, on Instagram and, and anywhere else? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So the website is www.myhalalkitchen.com. Um, teaching a cooking Halal 101 course there. So if you go to the website, you're going to see uh, information about that online course. Um, my social media is everything's at my Hello Kitchen. So Instagram, okay. Facebook, um, Pinterest, Twitter. You know, I try to keep it all the same. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you so much once again. We, we appreciate you. you taking the time to talk with us. Thank you so much for having me in Ramadan Mubarak. Ramadan Mubarak. Assalamu alaikum. All right, Radio Islam family, we want to thank, um, we thank uh, Sister Yvonne for taking the time to talk with us. And we thank you for tuning in and listening. We want to thank our engineer over at WCEV, Ramon. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, we thank our engineer in studio, the impressive one, Ibrahim Beg. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the hosts and guests are not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision, Inc., And with that, we're going to leave you, my good people, as we greeted you with the Ramadan Mubarak and Assalamu Alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.